Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week, we'll be talking to people active in the business community and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Today in the studio, we have Louise Horsfield, Head of Fundraising and Engagement at the Percy Headley Foundation, a disability charity based in North Tyneside. And down the line, we have Martin Bleasby, Chief Operating Officer at Energy Force, a sustainable energy company based in Beverly, East Yorkshire. And later, my colleague Joss Habakin will be talking to anyone in its uh, bid to actually renew the Business Improvement District in Newcastle. Now, let's start, shall we, and ask you, please, if you're listening or watching this weekend, uh, to uh, forgive my sore throat. It's hay fever. It's got to my throat, and I'm a bit croaky as a result. But I'm sure we'll get through it. And uh, let's start down the line with Martin Bleasby from Energy Force. Martin, I start the conversation by looking at the fact that at the end of this week, the 30th of June, the energy price guarantee goes away. The energy tariff that's set by the government, the uh, uh, the uh, 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 the way in which uh, maximum uh, prices can be charged for energy falls, but also, less advertised, the green energy levy starts to be reapplied to bills. What will this mean for bills of businesses? Uh, well, essentially, new contracts is going to see um, a, a slight increase. I mean, it, we, we've had some protection um, from the government um, from... Uh, some of the crazy electricity prices. You know, we had some clients signing up at uh, one ten uh, per kilowatt hour. Um, but uh, you know, obviously that the, the you know some of the government support enabled that to uh, to bring that down. But um, that's now going. Um, and you know, obviously the green levy is is the, the starting to apply that coming back. So we are going to see uh, an increase in in electricity contracts, um, which is a need for why businesses need to be looking at energy security and what they can do to try and uh you know have some protection against increased electricity prices going forward established this business that's been going for quite a while now and it's an sme business based in each east yorkshire and it is designed to help privately owned businesses particularly chains where you've got more than one venue while one building to generate their own electricity and use it to offset some of the expense that the regular tariff incurs. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, solar PV um, it enables a business to generate their own green electricity, which provides a number of benefits to them. Um, not only is it a good CSR for the business, um, it's uh, it also enables them to have some, you know, obviously self generation protection from increased uh, energy prices. Um, you know, as an industry, we're now looking at. Um, something called the levelized cost of energy when buying solar PV. Uh, and the levelized cost of energy basically takes into account the cost of the uh, solar, the initial capex of the solar investment, the ongoing maintenance and running costs, et cetera. And over a 25-year period, the levelized cost of energy for that uh, production is is equating to from anything from five to seven pence. Wow, that is fantastic. I, mean, I, um, I know that the, the, the range is from 30 pence up uh, for for a kilowatt uh, a unit, so it's significant that now when I first came across you because our sponsor Virtue Motors, uh, Virtue Motors have what what maybe nearly two hundred different uh, 
uh, sites across the UK selling cars. Um, but they decided to tackle the energy issue uh, so that they could A, have stability and B, have uh, security. So um, is, is that kind of business with multiple sites the type of business that you can make the best efficiencies for? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, the bigger business group perspective with multi-sites, um, you know, the problem is compounded. You know, obviously, you've not just got one site with increased energy costs on one site. You're timesing that by multiple, potentially 200, 300 sites. Um, so, you know, it, it's relevant to any business is, is solar PV and the protection it can help provide against increased uh, electricity costs. Um but obviously, from group perspectives, you know, obviously that's just compounded and, and, and makes the benefit greater. And and also, it's 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 essential, really, to try and offer some sort of stability in this marketplace with uh, with energy. You know, it's a it's a significant part of an overhead to a business now. Now, I've got some experience in solar panels in my domestic setting. Um, I bought a house in 2016, and it's it's a relatively large house, probably a bit too big for me. Actually, I'm rattling around it. But the uh, the uh, electricity bills were like two hundred pounds a month, so I put solar panels in, and uh, I put twelve panels in, and I got the electricity down down to about one hundred and sixty pounds a month. Not much saving, and then realised, of course, I'm out during the day. I'm not actually using the electricity, and the feed-in tariff I was getting to sell the grid wasn't that advantageous because the house uh, is a listed building and doesn't have an EPC. I then put a battery in. The result is my electricity bills are 60 quid a month. The, the solar feeds the battery. The battery releases the energy when I'm at home in the evenings. I had thought, though, that solar wouldn't be relevant because we've got too many long, dark months. Just at six months of the year, it, it wouldn't be relevant. Do you find that my experience can be, can be applied to business and that solar can be made relevant? Yeah, I mean... In a domestic setting, um, you know, obviously if you're out of the house during the day, you've generally just got the base load of the property to cover it if you haven't got battery storage. So you're producing all this energy during the day and it has to go somewhere and it's just going and supplying the grid. But businesses are open during the day. Exactly. And that's why where businesses obviously can, can benefit the greatest. You know, it fits the solar profile. Yes, we have... Um, you know, we have the seasonal differences, obviously January, December being the worst months, obviously coming back to your, your July being the better months, longer light hours, etc. Um, but solar is very easy to predict. It does what it says on the tin. It's a proven technology being around for many, many years now. Um, and, you know, it, it can save businesses, you know, probably 50, 60% of their electricity costs. You know, you quoted some prices right, or figures at the beginning, but... Nevertheless, a business still has to dip into their pocket and fund the installation of the panels. And the question then is, what's the repayment time for that investment? Uh, is that the only way of doing it, or are there other ways of funding the panels? Because you're going to be talking about lots of panels and the installations you do. It's not like my domestic with 12 panels. Yeah, there's, yeah. so so ultimately the payback um, at the moment, as it currently sits, um, you're looking at anything from three to four year um, payback for a system designed to meet your usage. You know, and I say that to meet your usage, if you start to add batteries, et cetera, you start to increase the capex, um, which obviously uh, produce a longer payback. Um, with regards to funding, um, you know, obviously we'd never dreamt of having a three to four to five year payback in solar um, back in 2010 when 
when it, when the industry first started, you know, was more looking at seven, eight-year payback, which is out of the payback investment criteria for many businesses, especially the bigger businesses. Um, so what we're finding is, obviously, bigger businesses are, are, are you know, are finding the cash, you know, sourcing the cash themselves, et cetera, because it fits within their sort of payback criteria. Alternatively, there's other investment um, and financial uh, offerings such as uh, PPA agreements, power purchase agreements, where it can be put on the roof and obviously pay back through the energy they use. Um, and then obviously there's traditional funding mechanisms from the bank as well, such as asset-based finance. Now, this is a great time to be in an energy business that helps security and savings. What other kind of products are coming to the fore that businesses are looking at? And also land and building owners, because people who are leasing out a building that doesn't cost as much to run may be able to get more rent as a result. Yeah, I mean, obviously solar PV is the obvious, but moving away from solar PV, um, electric vehicle charging is is very big. Um, you know, just to put into context on our installs, we've done uh, 400 uh, electric vehicle charge points over the last six months, predominantly to the dealership sectors. Um, but what that's telling us is obviously these cars are getting sold. The dealerships are requiring this charging mechanism to to move the vehicles on. So these are going out into the general population. Obviously, they need destination charging. Destination charging being somewhere where they're going to go, and the drivers obviously you know not relevant and not waiting around with the vehicles, such as workplace, leisure, hotels, you know, retail sectors. Um, so you know, and obviously, what we're finding is. You know the industry is now starting to really uptake on that, and also recognise some investment opportunity and returns what they could have by selling on generate uh, uh, by selling on their um, electricity for for charging vehicles. Especially if you're combining that with solar PV, potentially you've got some um, excess generation where you can obviously uh, feed that in as well, and obviously it can contribute to a payback on solar PV. Martin, you're based in East Yorkshire, uh, but have you got a national footprint? Are you all around the country? And have you got a decent group of engineers to do it? Yeah, we operate nationally. We've got over 50 engineers, um, you know, working throughout the UK. Because um, not only do we install, you know, obviously we also do have a comprehensive operations and maintenance program. We're not fit and forget. Um, we, we build long-lasting partnerships with, with our clients. Um, and this technology, in, uh, you know, does need an upkeep. It does need um, regular maintenance, et cetera. Um, and we have teams throughout the country, you know, being able to support that as well. Well, Martin, thanks for joining us. We've got a programme with different uh, guests talking about different things today. And joining me in the studio is Louise Horsfield. Louise, you're head of fundraising engagement at the Percy Headley Foundation. Now, uh, for people in the northeast of England, it's quite a well-known charity. This podcast goes around the whole of the north. What, what do you do and what, what benefits do you bring to society? So we support people with disabilities, mainly with complex needs. Uh, children, young adults and adults of any age. We do that basically through providing special education. We've got two special co- special schools, a college, an adult learning programme and four specialist adult residential homes. So our ethos is to help people live the best life possible. Uh, we just turned 70 this year. So uh, we were founded by a group of parents in 1953. How we support them to live their best life has changed, obviously, in those 70 years because our understanding of disability has changed massively. But we've gone from supporting 12 people on the first day to 600 people every week now. And we employ just under 1,100 people. So a big employer in yeah. your own right. Now, this is a business podcast. We're very interested in the yeah. work that you do for your 
uh, users and uh, helping people with disabilities. But let's slightly put it in a business context. First of all, how do you engage with the business community in your patch? What kind of uh, best routes do you do to make sure that businesses are using this, their corporate social responsibility in your direction? So there's various different ways that businesses can support charities. So obviously things like volunteering, that's becoming increasingly popular. So many large organizations now offer their staff volunteer days. And what we're, what we're trying to do as a charity is look at where we might not have the resources and the expertise and how do we partner up with organizations who do have those and use the CSR to help us. So as an example, obviously you've just been talking to Martin, um, charities tend to be in old buildings that haven't necessarily had the spare money to be able to invest in sustainable energy and things, but we're obviously facing the same challenges as every other business in terms of rising energy costs, inflation, et cetera. So I'm sure Martin would come and have Ex, you know, an, an idea of that first time we built a set. Is it the charity out with any kind of settle or feed it? We, over the years, yes. And obviously, you know, not just saying give us some free solar panels, but even just this, this skill and expertise to look at how we've got eight different locations mm -hmm. across. So how might, what might be the best, you know, approach to do that? We also have uh, a fleet of vehicles. So we, part of what we do is we transport our beneficiaries around. They go out lots of different places. Um, so we're starting to look at now, how might we replace our fleet with electric vehicles, et cetera, when we're replacing them going forward. Um, but lots of different ways that businesses can support us with like using their skills and expertise. So we have people coming in and doing, you know, things like, decorate and tidying up spaces but we also have people coming and doing some um, marketing work we've got some people delivering some um it training for our staff there's quite a lot of different ways that we're trying to tap into that sort of volunteer aspect um obviously some businesses have gone down the route with the do charity of the year some businesses give a proportion of their profits to charities and you can apply for funding through that um we also have events that businesses can support so if you're doing team building or you're doing some um corporate networking why not do it an event that supports a charity at the same time you get a double benefit um and of course your charity and i say this in the northeast because i know people who work with you uh, does very much support its uh, corporate givers yeah so, uh, so um you, you, yeah we've, we've, part of that we've, got, we've got some good, good network we've got um a campaign that was done by a corporate partner just be, which is helen's group um, they've just been nominated for a charity award, which is fantastic. We're trying to recognize the, the corporate partners that we have. Um, also, for us specifically in terms of our agenda, we are trying to encourage workplaces to be as inclusive as possible. So there's different ways that we can support businesses to invest in that. And we're also specifically looking for businesses that would be open to the idea of creating work placements for our beneficiaries. So looking at job carving and, and people who are open to looking at a job role that would play to the strengths of our service users. Now, your service users can quite often be severely disabled. You have lots of different uh, people uh, with different needs, don't yeah. you? But if I expand it to a more general question, um, unemployment is low. Uh, even in the northeast of England, north of England in general, but in the northeast of England, it's now below the national average, which is unheard of in my world. Yeah. But vacancies are up. Uh, the government will want 
and is trying to look at encouraging people with different employment needs who are not employed, maybe they have disabilities or illnesses, back into the workplace. I suppose that needs employers to have a different attitude. Yeah, it does. It, re it requires employers to be open to uh, the idea of being flexible around roles and how you play people's strengths and thinking about the work environment and how do you adapt the work environment to be inclusive to people with different needs. And that and that can be people's, you know, people's complexity of needs is on a spectrum, isn't it? So it, it some people might not be as complex, but they still need an adjustment in the environment so that they can work to the best of their ability. Is that help for employers? If you if one was to employ somebody uh, who is uh, wheelchair-bound or blind or, or has a disability that needs uh, the business building to change or the IT equipment to be adapted. Is there any help that employers can gain from outside uh, from the government? Yeah, there's a fund called Access to Work. So if you are looking to employ someone who might need some adaptations, whether that's uh, some software or something physical to the building, you can apply through Access to Work for funding to help you make those changes to get that person into the role. Well, Louise, it's great to hear you've been so positive, both about your own beneficiaries and client group, but also about how you interact with business. And I hope the charity goes from strength to strength for another 70 years. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Louise. Thank you to Martin. And now he's out and about again. Over to my colleague, Joss Haberkin. Thanks, Graham. I'm in central Newcastle today for the launch of anyone's new consultation document. Anyone is the business improvement district for central Newcastle and it's going out to its members, the businesses here, to get agreement on its ambition for the next five years. I called with Stephen Patson to find out a little bit more. Today we are launching the consultation on anyone's next five year term as a business improvement district company. I think that what the businesses of Newcastle have achieved since they established anyone back in 2009 has been nothing short of phenomenal. We've managed to bring in, bring in a significant amount of additional investment, tens of millions of pounds since we were established, as well as keeping the day-to-day -day elements with our rapid response clean team, our street rangers, our annual events program, and our marketing efforts. I think it's a remarkable offer on behalf of business, and it's absolutely focused on what they want. It is a hallmark of any great city that you have a vibrant and well-represented business sector. We've been proud to be that representative body since 2009, so I do think it's really important that the voice of business is heard at a civic level. I think that will be even more the case in the future. We've got some fantastic developments coming through. That with that brings challenges but also opportunities and we need to make sure that the uh, voice of business is heard at the highest levels uh, so we can really maximise the commercial opportunity. Well it's been a very interesting event certainly from my perspective and it's been great to hear about the plans for Newcastle City Centre. Going to go back to you now Graham. Thanks for that Joss. Join us next week for the Northern Business Podcast. Never miss an episode. Like, rate and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.